Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Morning, Joe. And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Ah, guten Tag, Herr Stafford-Bloor. Guten Tag, wie, Herr Devine. Wie bist du? <laughs> Me Gates is good. Joe. Yes, yeah. well, Seb is good because he's over here in the United Kingdom on a little trip for a couple of days visiting yeah. the uh, offices of The Athletic and to record a podcast and other things. Uh, and in doing so, you managed to miss the game of a generation while you were on a plane. But you've watched it since, I hear. I have watched it since, but without the jeopardy of watching it in real time. So it's kind of weird because I feel like if you watch that kind of game live, then that's the experience. Sure. Post, you know, when it, all the discussions happened, all the Twitter reaction has been recorded. Nah, not so much. Yeah. But still, interesting. Mm. Did you feel any jeopardy, Alex? No. Okay. Well, if you like jeopardy unlike Alex, the place you'll find it or not, depending on your Loads definition of, of that. Loads, Loads of, of good jeopardy. Really? No bad jeopardy. Really jeopardous. Good jeopardous is The Athletic. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash Tifa, you'll find that you can get a 30-day free trial to trial The Athletic. And I tell you what, it's a good week to do so because there were some very exciting pieces out this weekend. I particularly enjoyed, Alex, I enjoyed Adam Crafton's sort of summary of uh, what happened in the Man United-Liverpool game. And I mostly enjoyed it because uh, I saw Alex say to one of the... Alex, sorry, I saw Adam say to one of the editors at halftime, would you like a piece about why Solskjaer should go? And they said, yes, can we have it later tonight? He said, I'll do it for the whistle. Uh, and I felt like uh, reading his piece afterwards, I thought, you've been thinking these things for some time. <laughs> and uh, these they were good thoughts. Yeah, there was also a really good um, Ollie K piece uh, on the congruence between the Roy Evans situation at Liverpool and Solskjaer's mm. situation now, which had real kind of depth to it. And For our younger listeners, not me or anything, but for our younger <laughs> listeners who don't know who Roy Evans is, who could they be? Uh, so he had worked his way up through the Liverpool backroom staff. He took over as the manager after Sunas left. Right. Um, and was a kind of trans- transitional manager until... There was a weird joint appointment with Gerard Houllier before Houllier took over full-time, but Evans is probably best remembered for being in charge in the FA Cup final where Liverpool wore the white suits oh. and lost. The boy band era. Uh, yeah. The Spice Boys, was that, was that what they were called? The Spice Boys? They were Boys? called the Spice Boys, yeah. 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 I feel Roy Evans gets a little bit of a harsh press. I think his Liverpool, Liverpool teams were really, really fun to watch. Mm. They were flawed and they probably should have achieved more, but they were fun. Maybe um, you'll be saying this about Solskjaer in the future. I don't think I will be, no. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll find out in the near future whether you'll be saying something different. Uh, one more thing before we start today's episode. I'd like everybody listening to know that you can now buy... TIFO merch in the TIFO merch shop, which is, where is it? What's it called? Where's the shop? On the internet. Yes, yeah, on the internet. Yep. Uh, look at Alex. W- if you're watching w- this video. W- dot. Yeah, www. Look at Alex. He's wearing, what are you wearing, Alex, there? Oh, this is the Ibrahim Sangare. Is it actually? Monaco. We've got one of the Ibrahim Sangare ones. Look at that. So you can see that's one of his two goals that he's scored in his oh, career there. very harsh. The better of the two. But if you'd like uh, to purchase that, you can do at uh, shop.tifofootball.com. Well, you can also get what Seb's wearing. What are you wearing, Seb? I am wearing something from 1999, which is, uh, unfortunately, probably because of what we're going to talk about, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's goal against Bayern Munich. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> interesting thing about that goal. I remember watching it live with a lot of people who didn't support Manchester United, and everyone quite enjoyed Man United winning the European Cup. I feel sure. like that wouldn't happen now. Well, you know, I guess people didn't like Bayern. No, it wasn't that. It just felt as if, you know, in, in an age where you got what you were given on terrestrial TV and European football generally featured a one, not one participating English team, but a team that had an opportunity. Mm. It felt like a sort of a collective, go on, win a European Cup. Yeah. And now 21, two years later, probably not. Probably yeah. we just, you know... Ooh. Seb there with the best advert 
Go on, from, uh, go on, Mario Plaza. Uh, for people who for people who are listening only and can't see, it's probably for the best because Seb's not, not helping us. Should have a backstory. By it should it. have a backstory. Um, <laughs> the, the, what we're describing are some lovely t-shirts. Uh, top-down, eagle-eye view of a, of a football pitch, tactics board, little dots, and how these famous goals were scored through the, the, the medium of dotted lines. So there we go. Very exciting. Also, there's some there's plenty of other types of T-shirts on there. And a TIFO mug, which you could sip out of and then be more intelligent. That is true. That's how it works. And that's not false advertising. No, that, that's a guarantee. That's real. If you buy it, You'll be smarter. My mum has a tea <laughs> mug and she uses it to keep asparagus in. So, you know, not just Again, for tea and coffee. Delighted <laughs> to have Seb here for the merch, merch bit. Uh, <laughs> that'll do now, Seb. Useful products. That'll do. Very useful, very useful can be used products. In all yeah. kinds of situations. My mother uses it for her asparagus. Good for yeah. storage. Doesn't get more upper class than that. Now, listen, we will uh, leave you now in the warm hands and the cool embrace of uh, uncertainty and unfavor. I said this last week for those regular listeners to the podcast. I said it the week before. We spent quite a lot of time talking about Manchester United recently, but I feel that there's a reason for that. Like It's on the tip of my tongue, Seb. It's on the tip of my tongue, and, oh, it's because they're really bad. <sighs> really bad, really, really bad. So I got on a plane yesterday to come here, and it was 1-0 to Manchester, not to Manchester United, to Liverpool. Mm. And I think most people saw a Man United defeat coming or mm. thought that Sunday was going to be, at best, not great. Sure. And then we landed... Refresh the live score, five 0 Liverpool. And you think this is kind of a new depth. Sure. I know that Manchester United lost to Tottenham last year and they conceded a six at home. I don't feel like this is the same type of game. This was so comprehensive. It almost felt at times as if and I, I think um Ian Wright made a really good point on match day too last night. He said the difference is the coaching. One yes. team is being coached at a very high level, another's not. And I think it's worth talking about often because you don't see this situation. You don't see a situation between two of these teams where if you think back 15 years ago, games between Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Liverpool, these are really tense tactical affairs, chess matches, kind of boring, settled by a goal, probably something quite scrappy, a really marginal moment in the game. I mean, the the, the, the uh, cliche has continued almost up until now, right? I yeah. mean, even, you know... This game has historically been really, really well, bad. This is the thing, yours. even after the Atalanta game, where it was quite clear to see what might happen to United were they to come up against a, a top Liverpool side in form, there were still people I had conversations with who, you know, fairly enough thought, well, Liverpool United is always boring, so this one is sure to be boring too. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons for that is because you have two, well, maybe Manchester United and Liverpool aren't quite on a, a financial footing, um, same financial footing, but two teams that pretty much at the moment have their pick of uh, coaches in world football who have the resources to employ pretty much anybody, and yet you have this massive technical gulf between them. And that's really quite yeah. a rare situation. And it's it's beyond just, oh, you know, it's another extension of the Solskjaer conversation and Man United are a team of individuals. It's an amazing level of dysfunction because I, I know we're going to talk about this, I know, but if you if you go into the kind of the mechanics of some of those goals, it's damning. Yeah. It's really difficult to watch. And I, oh, I don't have sure. a, I don't have a horse in this race. I don't really I mean, I I couldn't pick a winner between Man United and Liverpool. I don't really care either way. Um, and yet as a neutral, you're kind of affected by it and you 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 squirm. I watched it, obviously, uh, many hours after the game had finished and I knew the result and knew what was coming and it's still quite difficult to watch just because it's so bad. Well, let's pick up, Alex, on that point about uh, coaching. As I turn to Alex and he is texting on his phone. Who are you texting? It must be something important. Yes. Mm, okay. Picking up on the coaching point there, as Ian Wright mentioned on Match of the Day and, and mm. several other uh, observers have mentioned over the last few weeks and indeed months, uh, the gap between Manchester United as they are this season and other top teams does kind of appear to be coaching. Do, do you agree with that? And if so, what, what do you think the uh, sort of the biggest problems are? Yeah, I think I think it is coaching. I mean, if you look at this Liverpool side, Canate come in for Matip, who's been fantastic this season. His ability to pass and build up from the back has been crucial in the way that Liverpool construct their play. So that's a big change. The the midfield for Liverpool is nowhere near their first choice as a midfield. And yet... No Mane either. 
No Mane either. I mean, that's less of an issue, I think, because Jota is so good at swapping in and, and they have rotated that front three a little bit. But the difference is when you see a team where players can be rotated into positions and roles with minimal impact on the structure of that side and the way particularly their defensive structure and their pressing game, you know that's because the team is well coached. And United seem at the other end of the, like where United are good is in attack, right? But that's not because of coaching. That's because they have these instinctive moves. Sometimes they come off, sometimes they don't. But in terms of looking at their defensive structure, and we talked about this before we recorded, you know, that there are lapses in judgment from some players. There are other players that are then caught in a position where they've got, I mean, Luke Shaw, for example, horribly exposed for that first goal because of mistakes four or five moves yeah. further behind in, in the up the chain time. up the chain thank you that's so much clearer <laughs> than the cul-de-sac I was working myself into um and these are the sorts of things where you think okay yes Liverpool are a really good side and they are geared up to punish those sorts of lapses particularly through Salah who is on fire at the moment I mean they're, but, they're also uh, worth pointing out that they were particularly excellent they were particularly yeah. excellent yeah absolutely um but at the same time, and that, that's also something that grows during the game. You know, if you see the ease with which United concede that first goal as a Liverpool player, you're thinking, hang on a second, yeah. we can really go for it now. And then similarly, once they get to five, we can really ease off and just keep control of the game. Did you, uh, just, to, just to jump in, there, I don't know, they were excellent. I think they were really, really efficient. I, I always felt, and again, maybe this is kind of hindsight playing tricks on me, but it always felt as if Liverpool had a couple of extra gears. Like they had moments of intensity mm, yes. where um, the pace of their play would really quicken, typically towards the end of a move um, at, you know, the kind of the exclamation point moment. But it seemed as if it was not half-hearted, but parts of the play were quite reserved. Well, I think, that, well, I think that, within that the context excellent. of the game, they were they were as excellent as they needed to be. And, and also, as Alex pointed out, they I mean. didn't need like, to go beyond five. Yeah, but that's my point, is that it, there is, if you were if you were to watch Liverpool in a more intense game, so say, for instance, we were about to sit down to watch Liverpool against Chelsea, I think you would see a higher grade of technical excellence from mm -hmm. Liverpool in that game because it would be it would be a, a situation which demanded a kind of a greater precision in their play. To Was Alex's this, point, though, about yeah. that be that actually being excellent, yeah, because, <sighs> I, because I think that that ultimately the excellence is doing what is required to win a game. To explain, yeah. if if a team yeah. is set up with uh, you know massive gaps in central midfield, exposed areas down the flanks where you can draw fullbacks out of position as easily as that the efficiency and ruthlessness and then going okay this game is sewn up like that is excellent they don't yeah. they don't have to do more why would you particularly in such a congested fixture list and calendar with european competition and all the rest of it why do you want to play hell for leather when you know that you yeah. can control the game so easily I mean, on, that, on that point as well can i say i think it was a, a slightly unusual five nil and that whenever I watch, normally I watch a 5-0 and you think, well, that could have been 10. This game, I think it could have been 6. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold had that fantastic shot from outside the box, which was well saved by De Gea. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't remember too many other Liverpool chances. Their XG was slightly lower than the number of goals that they scored within the game. They were just ruthless with the chances that they did have. I think also, I think Mohamed Salah made a couple of those chances look easier than they really were. That one near the, like the near, post, near post finish the, the was one touch. Uh, incredibly casual. And yeah, that's so a good. difficult skill. Yeah. Um, particularly when the ball kind of comes at that pace. Because on first view, you think, well, De Gea should have got yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah. And you watch it from behind the goal and you realise there's I, no way De Gea's ever mm, getting to that. Well, I thought the Yota finish was actually quite good. I mean, on the stretch, ball coming across at pace, controlling that finish. Hey, I, I know that Milner's right behind him and he probably scores anyway, sure. um, but it's still a good finish. It was just, and um, the cabi, the Navigator goal, Cabinator. Cabinator? Navigator. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really nice finish. That's a really lovely move, but it, I couldn't get beyond, and this might have been different life, but uh, I couldn't get beyond what I was seeing on the other side of the ball. Like I couldn't, it's, it's, you, could, it's you see the efficiency in Liverpool's play, but you also see the gaps. That first goal. Okay, so if, if if the three of us went out to play football now and we never met before yeah. and we were trying to instigate a pressing system, like if I was playing centre-back, I might say, right, Alex, run towards that guy and Joe, you run towards him. And that's what it looked like. Yeah. It wasn't a pressing system. It was just people it making It looked like effort. they'd never played together before. And it, that's a cliche that we tossed around that's kind of lost its meaning. But I think mm. when we talk about pressing, that's 
pressing isn't just running at the ball. Mm. That's not what that means. And it was, I couldn't, it was very strange to see that in that type of fixture. And it was... They basically walked that first goal in. It was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was lovely. And this is what I mean about challenging the kind of the excellence. Like Alex's definition, fair enough. I, I just, to me, it it looks like a training move. It looks like something which has been rehearsed and, you know, like a, to show an what American could football move yeah. where, they, where they walk through things. And Here's they, how you pull the defence out of shape. the perfect scenario and it, and it assumes that you're, the, the defence that you're facing has a very low footballing IQ and is not going to react in a proper way. Man United did all of this. That's that, that's just good opposition scouting. Isn't it? I, I guess mean. so. But would you ever anticipate a um, how many players? How many Man United players were engaged in that move? Maybe six or seven. Would or you six, ever ima- yeah. maybe something like that? So would you ever imagine that they would have as little impact one after the other? Probably yeah. not. Because well, was- Wan goes. And then is passed straight away. Yeah. Maguire has to come out. Yeah. Lindelof pushes across. McTominay doesn't drop back, even yeah. though he's in the position to do so. Yeah. And poor old Luke Shaw, who's having a bad run of form anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, defensively at least, is then stuck between trying to guard Salah and trying to guard Cater, uh, who has dropped him behind him. Pick your poison. With, what, 30 yeah. yards of space? I mean, and McTominay, either way, you silly at the end of yeah. that. McTominay's so. sort of jogging, Sean, yeah, 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 yeah. so casually. And, and I'm like... The, the, this is a player, um, you know, we did the video on him before and his limitations and build up and stuff. But at least the one thing that people have been able to say about McTominay is that he tries mm-hmm. and he, he tries. <laughs> you know, he's he's eager. Right. He's eager. Yeah. And that's part of the, part of what works for him in that midfield pivot role insofar as anything does is is enthusiasm. And and this is early on in a game yeah. and he's just he's not reading the move and when the move is yeah. unfolding in front of him he's not reacting oh, well I think this is because uh, you know this is what five eight minutes into the game something like that the yeah. first goal it's really early yeah he was very early but also it wasn't so early that McTominay and Fred weren't already completely aware what they were facing for the next 90 minutes because the real issue is that Fernandez and Ronaldo were I don't know what they thought they were doing but they were trying to run at defenders, uh, leaving a huge gap behind them. Uh, Mason Greenwood and Rashford weren't really dropping inside and again, maybe they've been told to do that, who knows Uh, So you've got Fred and McTominay as a genuine two isolated from almost every other player on the pitch uh, against Milner and Cater, but also Jordan Henderson, who no one was marking the entire game, who had a fantastic game and that we'll come to talk about that pass a little bit later, Seb. And Firmino, who is known to drop off into that kind of false nine position. It was a 4v2 in midfield many, uh, many times within the game. And I felt very sorry watching McTominay and Fred. McTominay as someone who I don't think knows where to be most of the time anyway, or at least to the level that he should. And Fred, who is, is not quite good enough, but repeatedly exposed as a result of the lack of protection that he has afforded by other players on his team. It was embarrassing. They don't know whether to go forward, backwards, left or right. Like To a certain extent, after five minutes, if I was playing in that game... I think after five minutes, I wouldn't be sure if I was supposed to drop into the defence or if I was supposed to push up. If I drop back, am I then going to be shouted at because I've left all this space on the front, uh, you know, in front of the box outside the 18-yard line? It it, just, that, it looked like they didn't know what they were doing. That's it looked coaching. like the coach hadn't told them anything. And I so I, this is this is a slightly uh, tangential segue, but I, I watched the England women's game against Northern Ireland on Saturday afternoon, and the way that Northern Ireland pressed and blocked was exemplary. Sure. Like, okay, they ended up conceding a load of goals. But if you watch that first half, you see a team of limited technical capability as players. But, for example, the point Seb was making about how you press, when the right midfielder, Hamilton, was pressing, always the runs were curved so that she was moving towards the player in possession, but also marking the player outside and forcing the ball inside. You had a, a number eight, Callahan who was doing a man-marking job on the defensive midfielder, Leah Williamson, didn't leave her side, yeah. right? Unless play was developing forwards. Each of those players, who were nowhere near as good as England on a player-by-player basis, had so clearly been given specific in- tactical instructions and followed them to the letter up until England went weird. Well, here's the question then, because... And, and like that's, cl- that's good coaching. That, that's but the, all but that then, is. Like, Solskjaer, very, you know, very clearly, Solskjaer is doing something with the team, right? It's not like he's just not telling them anything. I said, kind of, you know, sort of a little ruthlessly a moment ago, it looks like he's told them nothing. They've very obviously they've prepared, but what's what's going wrong? Do you think? Like, because it looks like they don't know anything. How does that? How does that happen? Is well, it a mixture of a confidence issue as well? Or I, I think I think maybe there's some confidence. I think I think one of the problems is that so we've seen issues with 
their defensive structure in the past. They've conceded goals in the Champions League where they've had far too many players high up the pitch and they mm. don't recalibrate their overall positioning. I think one of the problems for them is that when one player gets out of position, it's incredibly easy for the knock-on effects of that to propagate through the team and leave everybody at sea. Mm. So it's almost like if they're, if they're just retreat, because we've seen, the funny thing is we've seen United run like pretty decent sort of four, five, one low and mid blocks yeah. in games where they've then gone and counterattacked that game against PSG in the Champions League a yeah. season or Cut two the back. Against well, the last City five the games against Liverpool, example, right. whether they won yeah. or not, that's how they've played. So and that's not how they approach this game at all. No. So when it's regimented and it's a block and the players roughly know where they're supposed to be in relation to everyone else, but nobody's tearing out and yeah. trying to do stuff, then it seems to work okay. The key point is exactly what Seb said. Pressing is not just running at the person mm -hmm. with the ball. Yeah. Like you have to press in concert. You have to know a set of triggers across the team. You have to curve your runs. You have to curve your runs. Like the thing with pressing is that you can have, you can have degrees of complexity within pressing schemes, obviously, but ultimately it's not the hardest aspect of football. You know, no. it requires coordination and timing and high degrees of fitness. And that's why it takes time to institute it properly. You still but, also only really need to know what the person next to you is about to do. Yeah. And you need to, you need to know your reference point, right? Yeah. So are you pressing the ball? Are you pressing the man? Are you pressing a zone? And, and once you've got those fairly simple things sorted out, it becomes about repetition and rotation. Rotation? Rehearsal. Mm -hmm. The problem I think United have is that compared to the other top teams, they don't really have coaches that are renowned for instituting a good pressing game or were playing football when pressing was a thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So Klopp, famous for pressing. Tuchel, famous for pressing. Guardiola, famous for pressing. Solskjaer is not that. Carrick wasn't playing in a particularly pressing side. Phelan's quite an old school coach. So you need somebody maybe to come in and say, like, this is my focus. Because that's the area, really, where United are being let down time and again, is once one element of the press fails, everything goes to shit. I wonder if this is more, this is a broader issue to me. Like, when I watch Man United now, and against Liverpool, yeah, but also Leicester, it's a group of players that kind of lost faith in what they've been asked to do. And I think that everything that Alex has said is right. Like, like the the technical input isn't there. At the same time, if you watch the way some of these players behave and you watch the way some of them react to each other, and particularly those midfielders, like it feels as if they've realized that they now have an impossible task. Maybe if you're a Man United player, I don't know how you avoid the analysis of the Leicester defeat, for instance, how you avoid the screenshots of those massive gaps. And if you're Fred or McTominay, you go into that game thinking, okay, but instead of Madison and Tielemans exploiting that, we've got, well, Henderson and Milner and Naby Keita and we've got Salah running off us. That's quite intimidating. And mm. professional footballers aren't immune to that kind of thing. And if you... There was, um, you know, some of the interview, the interview that Bruno Fernandes did last week. Yeah. We talked about, I mean, he didn't talk um, specifically about it. But he hinted at technical deficiencies within the coaching staff. He said that they know they need to improve as yeah, well. Yeah, he, we he, wasn't, he wasn't accusatory and he wasn't trying to be antagonistic. He just made an honest observation that, okay, there's clearly something more that the playing staff needs to do, but then there's, you know, maybe the technical staff want to meet them halfway. And it was a kind of, one of those rare moments of honesty that you very rarely hear from footballers. And that suggested that, if you think that, and if you're going up against a head coach who's won a European Cup and a Premier League and built, let's be fair, one of the best teams the Premier League has ever seen in its history, I think that's fair but way, as, as a way of assessing Liverpool, mm -hmm. and you're talking about not having faith in your coaching staff, you're finished. You're yeah. finished, you're finished, you're finished. And this was a point that we discussed briefly before recording, is that the thing that's most strongly in favour of Solskjaer in terms of his continued tenure at United was supposed to be this ability to relate to the players, yeah. to engender a good feeling. To not be Jose Mourinho. To not be Jose yeah. Mourinho and and to understand the traditions of the club, blah, blah, blah. One of which is this sort of sense of we keep going and we don't throw the towel in, you know, the Roy Keane thing. Um, but surely there comes a point where questions about the ability of the coaching staff kind of transcend that ability to create a good atmosphere. There cannot be a good atmosphere in the Man United dressing room at the moment. It must be a miserable place to be. It must be quite a divided place because you have, um, it's not Galactico's era Real Madrid, but it's not a million miles off. You have this sort of two tier system where you have 
Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes. Um, you probably also put Rafa Varane in there and maybe Edison Cavani, although he plays them with a sort of different mindset, admittedly. And then you have the others. So for the last couple of years, they've been building something. And this is the crux of the issue with Solskjaer. I think he has done some good at Man United. I think culturally, we talked about this last mm-hmm. week. Um, it's not a question of he's a failure, fire him into the sun. It's not that simple. He, he's done good things. He's integrated things and implemented um, uh, aspects of Manchester United club life, which needed to be that. However, um, when you uh, when you drop in ready-made superstars who are probably a little bit beyond their best, and this is about Ronaldo specifically, that kind of adds as a kind of contradiction of everything you're supposed to have stood for up until that point. Yeah. So you're, you know, you're building this young, hungry Man United team, and we're growing, we're growing, and growing. And yeah, but here's our 37-year-old um, superstar who's beyond his best, but earns an absolute fortune much more than everybody else at the club. Well, so you talk about why, why they approached the game in the way they did yesterday, instead of how they've approached every other big game, yeah. you know, over the last three years. I can't be completely conclusive. I don't know. I'm not behind the scenes, but I imagine it's because of Ronaldo. Mm. Do you, you know, it's weird. See, I wouldn't include Cavani in that list. That Me you neither, just gave because I think his attitude has been top class. I think Cavani has been um, a real credit. It's also um, an amazing defensive forward. Yeah, That's as a, the key point is exactly that if you this. have Cavani up front against Van Dijk and Canate, they don't have as much time on the ball. They that automatically you're starting to deny. And then it doesn't matter if Bruno Fernandes doesn't press quite as much. Or he kind of tries Fernandes to press, but he's not that great at it. He's but, energetic, like he's willing. Like I, I felt. Yeah. I, but, I, I, but Cavani is a really clever presser of the Cavani's ball. Cavani's relentless. Yeah. Cavani, in every area of the game, he's an educated footballer. Like he's mm. someone that's smart. I, I actually think that, um, talking about players of this, I think Man United miss Ander Herrera in a way, because yeah. Ander Herrera was a football obsessive. And mm. understood the game in a way that very few modern players do just because he loves it. It is the thing in his life. And he wasn't a world-class player, still isn't, never was. And yet it was an ingredient that you have in your team in a department as Cavani is at the top of the pitch for Man United that's very, very precious, particularly when things aren't going that well or when you've got imperfect young players or players who probably wouldn't be at the club in a kind of a, a during an upswing. Someone like Fred. Fred. Fred is not a Man United player during the good times. He's a... He's a bridging footballer who they overpaid for, who's been kind of, I don't know, it's a very long discussion, that one. Where do you stand if you're a, if you're a young Man United player? Are you, are you still building something or are you just there to um, fill the gaps around these sort of guaranteed starters regardless of form? That's yeah. a very difficult dynamic That's I don't know how you cope with that. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we'll go for a break and when we come back, there's a few more Man United related things we'll be discussing. If you're not enjoying this yet... <laughs> Either leave or come back in 20 minutes' time when we're going to talk very briefly about Barcelona. We'll we'll reference uh, Everton and Watford as well if we have time a little bit on Chelsea, Norwich, and there's a few miscellaneous SEB items which we may or may not... Which we'll almost certainly skip. ...reach. Um, But uh, I feel that there's more to be said here, so we'll uh, continue for now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And we're back with more. With more. Here we go. Um, Seb, surely he's got to go now, hasn't he? I mean, I know he won't, but surely he should go now, shouldn't he? Yeah, and I, I, I'm not trying to be cruel. Like I, I don't think I'm alone in saying that. You, know, you felt a little bit of sympathy for Oli Solskjaer yesterday. It was difficult to yeah, be. It was, um, it was hard to watch him walking off the pitch, and no one here relishes the idea of uh, someone losing their job. No, but, no. but I, I don't understand the other side of the argument. I mean, what is? I mean, I, I'm willing to listen to it, but what is? We saw these things coming. A lot of people have observed issues in Man United for a long time. The running joke is that um, 
when they're in a bad patch of form, there's always a result around the corner which kind of gets them out of trouble and Solskjaer begins a new cycle and then they they boom bust their way through another stretch of the season. What's the argument for him to stay? Because there's nothing wrong with just admitting that he had a very specific purpose at a particular moment in time, which made, I imagine, being a Manchester United fan a bit more fun than it was under Jose Mourinho. Like there was a big run and, and players and, and fans got to enjoy the football again and there were goals yeah. and, um, you know, a couple of players. It was freeing. It was a release of tension mm-hmm. and it was good and the club needed it. Yeah. And also, you know, Louis van Gaal came before Mourinho and, and Louis van Gaal is not exactly an easygoing guy either. Um, and so David Moyes before him. David Moyes before, and that was that was its own set of issues. So and Alex Ferguson before him, also not that easy going. Not that easy going. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with just being the transition guy who sure. allows the club to um, do something else to to kind of decompress. Do you think it's like when you get out of a very serious long term relationship, and then you have like a why are you looking at me? Like a while, well, you know. And then you have like a one-year fling with someone and you think, well, this is quite fun, isn't it? I'd never marry them, but it's quite fun. That's like a, I watched a, a Black Mirror about this just for I left home. It's about sort of this weird- Which one? Of, it's about this weird dating community where all the relationships have a timeline. Um, oh, and that's a really good date. one. It's a really good one, but it's it's the same thing in the sense of like, um, like different one. relationships with different people, but also different atmospheres and environments within the relationship. Yeah. I won't go any further because I'll ruin it for people, but that's, don't watch that, it. That, that's could, one of my what's, favorite ones. What's that one called? I haven't watched that one. Can't uh, remember. I don't know, but All right, I'll um, look it up. Mm. The synopsis should give it away. Thank yeah. you. It's very cool. Great. Good. Yeah. Yes. You, you, you are kind of like a, um, a character from Black Mirror in a way. Like you can imagine Alex cropping up in a sort of, in some sort of futuristic doomsday fatalistic I'd say he'd be a character in something that isn't written as well <laughs> that's just me though I'm not sure um, let's talk about I think we look we're all agreed do you want to say anything about whether Solskjaer should probably should be time to go I, yeah the only thing I'd say is that um, apart from Conte yeah who would bring a set of issues for that current United dressing room, mm. which don't really need to be enumerated because they're sort of obvious. Um, there isn't really anybody that great who's available currently. Well, did you know that the internet has Cristiano Ronaldo as the fourth in line as a, as, as far as the odds go? Right. 16 to 1, I they mean, say. I would laugh so hard that I'd probably die. Sure. I'd want to see that team. I mean, just a couple of times. I want to see what that would look yeah. like. Can just you imagine Cristiano Ronaldo as a player manager? I would. I I just imagine him standing in the centre circle on the centre spot, making um, asterisk exasperated faces. It's mm. hilarious. Again and again. Yeah. I like how since he arrived, you know, the limitations, the tactical limitations, people were perhaps aware of at the beginning. But what they said was that he would uh, he would help the team's mentality and turn them into winners. I like how he's really done that <laughs> since he arrived at the team. Yeah. Everyone on the that team. That challenge on Curtis Jones really led the way. Oh, man. I know there's no kind of like uh, law of the game that requires his sending off for that, but I thought that was disgusting and yeah. I would have been happy if he'd been sent it's off not, for that. It's not, I, I didn't feel like it was a red card like, by the laws, but it's a red card in yeah. the sense of it's, like, it's you a, know it's, it's a moral doing. red card. Yeah, it's also By any it's sense passion. of decency. Yeah. And it's like, a kind of, you're, you're taking out your own team situation on a fellow professional. And, um, and a young one. Mm. Yeah. Well that, uh, yeah, sure. But I, it was, I don't know. Like I, I don't think it reflected particularly well on the referee either. I could, I just think it was yeah. a sort of, anyway, you know, anyway. So yeah, no, the sorry, of the my, game. my point would be if mm. they sack him now, who comes in? Like there's a real paucity of good choices out there. Well, it's funny you should say that because later this week, I think we'll have a little video including Seb and, and, and JJ Bull the Bullard uh, about uh, just that. I mean, who the options are at the moment, what that might look like for a team, uh, perhaps premature on the basis that it seems unlikely that Solskjaer will lose his job anytime soon. But also, you know, it'll be kind of fun. Um, but I know you wanted to talk about Jaden Sancho, Seb, because uh, there's a there's a kind of you know there's a few people who've written things about Jaden Sancho relatively recently. Interesting angle emerging as it relates to him and his transfer, isn't there? Yeah, a uh, little bit of conversation about Bundesliga attacks, and that's very fair because the Bundesliga um, has its weak parts, and Sancho um, was good enough to exploit them. Um, I don't kind of buy that in the sense that he's been exaggerated his talent has been exaggerated he's an an excellent player what I find very strange is that for two years Manchester United obsessively pursued Jadon Sancho um, 
and they kind of built a weird little PR campaign around their pursuit yes. of it, try and make it seem, I don't know, um, go and read The Athletics. Holy Grail. Very strange. Anyway, now he's here, and now they've spent a lot of money bringing him here. There's no plan. Well, I, I was going to ask you about that, because we said this earlier, you know, it looks like they've, you know, spent two years excited to get him without thinking about what they'll do when they do get him, but like a dog chasing a, a car. But... Um, is it possible that he arrives and then two weeks later, Cristiano Ronaldo arrives and throws everything out of whack? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I honestly think that United have passed up the opportunity to develop potentially one of the best right wingers in football and also shift Mason Greenwood inside to play number sure. nine to prevent Manchester City from signing a former decent Manchester United this player. This is the thing, like you have to... It's genuinely the funniest it's thing quite, ever. Um, it's quite infantile. It's pathetic. In its way. Like it's sort of, I, I get the instinct. I don't, if I'm a Man United fan, I don't want to see Cristiano Ronaldo play for Manchester City. I get it. I get it. I, I don't want to see. I don't. I wouldn't want to see um, a 37-year-old Gareth Bale play for Arsenal. However, <laughs> however, however, however. I'd love to see you that. You have to. Like, Can you imagine Gareth Bale at 37? Within your, within your football organisation, you have to have a voice of reason. You mm. have to have someone that says, I know he's very famous. And I know he'll probably score quite a lot of goals, but look at the bigger picture. Somebody has to be able to to join up the technical dots about what signing player like that means. Because well, they, they, Ferguson, they say Ferguson called him. Yeah, but this is the thing. You would have like, thought. You would have thought like. Uh, isn't that quite? Is, is Ferguson not a voice of reason? I'm sure he's a voice of reason, but Alex Ferguson has been out of the game for eight years. Alex Ferguson has an unusual relationship with Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. and Alex Ferguson is. Um, uh, what's the the right way to say this? Old. He, no, but he's frozen in time at the point where he left the game. Yeah. Like his rivalries, his, his attitudes towards Manchester City, it's all fine because he's earned the right to have his opinion. He's, and he, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo obviously listens to him. That, that's fine. But there has yeah. to be someone strong enough, a club like Manchester United, to say, no, mm. no. He, okay, maybe he goes to Manchester City and he gives them a, an advantage over a year. But all that while you are invested in getting the best out of Jaden Sancho. You're a sure. £73 million player. You're and Mason Greenwood, who... Mason uh, Greenwood, you know, fabulous wow. player. Great, great footballer. And Edison Cavani, yeah, Because that's, that's the other thing. Like, if I'm if, if the argument is, I need a veteran forward as a as a sort of, as a, as a peer, as, as an one. example. You got one. And you got one who, who sets a really, really He's good really example. Good. Much, much better example. But I... It, well, exactly that. And I find it baffling that a football club could behave like this. And I... I don't care what Man United do, and it annoys me. Like it's, it's. Uh, yeah. I, I can't, I can't it, imagine what's well, like. Here's what I think. United There's a bit of a step back, a bit broader here. Fergie retires in 2013. You say we've got eight years on that now. Okay, it feels like longer, doesn't it? But that's eight years. There you go. I'm not sure whether this is something that they ever had the opportunity to do or not. Certainly, when Fergie was still there in the last year or two, they did have the opportunity. Uh, we know that he had dinner with Pep Guardiola. We know that he was a fan of Jurgen Klopp. We know that, uh, you know, he liked Pochettino so from Pochettino far, out for lunch. Right? Yeah. yeah. So we know that there were opportunities for Man, Man United to go out and get an actual world-class coach. And eight years later, they still haven't done that. I know Louis van Gaal is extremely well thought of, but there's an argument to say that he was uh, ever so slightly past it as a football manager, or at least the as ideas that manager, took him... Maybe. As a club manager. Fine the ideas that took manager, him to the top of the game were ideas that are now 10, 15 years old at this point, right? Uh, but like my point is, does it not seem that perhaps fewer opportunities to do this in the time since, but does it not seem that they've really fucked it by not just hiring one of the best coaches in the world? Isn't, isn't it simple? Totally fucked Don't it. you just go and get one of the best ones? Like, they're out there. We all know who they are. Why wouldn't you just go and get the good ones? I know you can't have Klopp and Pep now because they're taken by rival teams, and that's fine. But given their longevity at those... Jürgen Klopp has been at Liverpool for six years now, right? Pep Guardiola's been at Man City for... Five. Five years, right? That's a very, In the Premier League, that is a very long time for a manager to be in their job. So I appreciate it's a difficult moment because two of the best managers in the world are off the books and they manage your two biggest rivals. But Pochettino is out there, right? Nagelsmann is out there. I know that these Tuchel was managers... Out there for a long Tuchel time. was out there too. I know yeah. that they're hard to attract and they're hard to get, but surely... Pochettino's not in the same class as those other four. But there was an argument to say that when he was at Spurs, like he could, he could have been, he could have stepped up to that. I don't, I don't, I don't think it has to be a question of right. We need to have someone who is the equal of Klopp and Guardiola because, like, one of the things about when you achieve at Man United, that is naturally going to put you in a different class of manager. Yeah, it feels like the problem wasn't 
the problem with both Mourinho and Van Hal's appointments, Van Hal, notoriously inflexible person, is a kind of um, likes to be a bit of an autocrat within the system. And I look mm-hmm. at the kind of the, the revolution at Ajax and look at the people he's fallen out with, and it, it's just it's picture Everyone. itself. <laughs> Mourinho is the same. Mourinho is the same. And so when you when you bring someone like that in, and your organisation as a whole is not quite up to date. So, for instance, Man United are probably a decade and a half behind um, their their peers. In relation to the east of data, they're still like they're they're making a big deal now about appointing you know heads of data departments, and it's kind of it's 2021. It's like guys, you've missed the boat on this, and you bring a character like that in, um, who has kind of seen excellence across world football. Um, you know, Van Hal. If you think about the clubs he's managed, Mourinho, the clubs he's managed, like it doesn't matter whether they are good or world class or at the top of the class at that time it's a do they fit what we're trying to do yeah do they, do allow they have us to grow the abilities yeah. Yeah, and, and the answer in both cases was no and it was proven by what happened um, so the, the 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 answer is not no with Solskjaer it's just a different it's kind just of a different though, kind of conversation yeah. the, the, the merits of someone like Pochettino is Pochettino if you think about Pochettino's time at Spurs not to drag it back to Tottenham but Tottenham were Pochettino you see what happens when Pochettino gets taken out of Spurs. Disaster. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. rubbish. Whereas, and that's kind of, if you think about what Man United were a couple of years ago and what they still are in many in many respects, you put someone like that in who becomes a, a kind of a binding personality. Almost, there's a very cultish aspect to Pochettino's management. Like he enraptures players and people follow him and supporters love him. And, you know, and that is the guy that you need. And it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who stands toe to toe with Guardiola tactically, because that's not always what football is about. Sometimes you need someone that's worthy of the position and has the shoulders for it. And it's, they've never found that balance. They always went too far in one direction, too far in the other. That's the kind of the, um, the dichotomy between a Solskjaer and a Mourinho. Like, it's good for a while because one cancels out the other. Yeah. You don't end up really going anywhere. You just kind of get back to zero. And it's it's just a failure to think properly. Okay, well, to wrap this conversation up before we move on, I'll ask this to you both and brief answers if you would. Uh, Alex, you are uh, in charge of Man United, not as a manager, but you're making the decisions. W- what did you do immediately after that game? Resign. <laughs> no, no, you're not the manager. <laughs> I'd still resign. Still resign. You'll just resign yeah. whatever position. You're on the board. You get to decide what happens to Solskjaer. You get to decide what happens to the future direction of the club. Um, resign. Yeah, no. Um, I, I think... I think of all of the available replacements that are out there, Pochettino is probably the best. Yeah. And so... Currently mired in a PSG job, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, So probably as ridiculous as it sounds, I... I bite the bullet unless I can think of, I don't know, maybe appointing Carrick as an interim head coach to see, or Nicky Butt maybe through the the period. Nicky Butt's gone. I don't think you can do that again. I don't think you can go with the good feeling ex-player guy who's not No, really, I, my, my problem is... I understand I it, wouldn't, available, I wouldn't but. sack... So, it, either you sack Solskjaer within half an hour of that result and then you work out what on earth to do next or you let Solskjaer run through till the end of the season or perhaps like you were saying earlier until February or March when there's some sort of clause that makes it easier and then you make Pochettino a significant so offer. You, you wouldn't just try to get Conte now? I don't think Conte works for United personally. Um, I, I don't think the squad works for him. I don't think they're set up to play in his favoured formation. And I think Conte and Ronaldo would just clash <laughs> enormously. What about uh, you, Seb? You're and, in and I would sacrifice Ronaldo in that personally, but oh, that, sure. my feelings on that are very obvious. Yeah, uh, yeah he goes last night because um, in that situation, it's my credibility too. Because when that kind of result happens, somebody has to go. So sorry, just in this hypothetical, your credibility isn't shot. No, no, because your credibility is shot. Sorry, I'm by just trying to reach. I'm trying to imagine what <laughs> that would be like. I said I would resign. Step into that weird Narnia. Okay. Yeah, I so have you're no a respectable person. Just extend. Just, just, Fine, just. I'm trying to understand it. Just it's difficult to grasp. Exactly yeah. that. Join me in Narnia. See mm. what that would be okay. like. Touch the snow. Yeah. yeah so um, I have to because when that kind of result happens, um, you can blame the manager. You can blame the manager. But all really fans care about are. Does the club feel the same way that I do about this? Is that embarrassed? Yeah. Do something. You have to sack him. He goes last night. And yes, I call Conte because, and Alex is probably right, he's not the right person for Man United <laughs> at the moment, but he's competitive. He's a winner. He's very, very, very difficult. 
um, to deal with from a kind of an exec- executive level. And he'll be gone in 18 months. So you pick you go again. Then. <sighs> he has the, um, he has not a perfect system, but then he didn't really inherit one at Chelsea either. He inherited something that needed work, yeah. but which very, very quickly was adapted into a shape which made it as effective as it could possibly be. And I feel like it's okay if Man United don't win the Premier League, don't win a European Cup. I just think they need to be the sum of their parts for a bit. And Conte does that really well. I think my, and I agree with that. I think my problem with Conte is that, that actually what you end up doing then is getting into a cycle where you're, you're appointing another Mourinho type figure, someone who is efficient and has status within the game. A very fine coach, no question about it at all. I just think at a different stage of his coaching career. Like in, in, in 10, 15 years, Conte is going to probably be where Mourinho is now. Because he'll have burned a lot of bridges, he'll have created a lot of enemies within the game, he'll have um, antagonised too many people and upset journalists. But for now, like in terms of who the better coach is and who does the more impressive things on the coaching pitches, it's Conte. Oh, by a country yeah. mile. I, I just I would worry about about getting locking yourself oh, into gotcha. a short term cycle again, and then finding yourself like you say, Joe, in eighteen months' time, thinking, well, well maybe Nagelsmann will be ready to leave Bayern by then, you know. Maybe Pochettino will be, done with will be at Bayern for six or seven years. He'll win loads and loads of stuff, and then he'll take Germany to a World Cup victory. Someone like um, you know, a couple of years down the line, what is Julian Lopetegui's career looking like? Like there was, he is a guy. Okay, the Real Madrid thing was very, very strange, and I'm not still quite sure what happened there. But he is someone tactically who you could see, prop, perhaps not kind of um, becoming one of those. Um, high priest of the game but someone that occupies a very very high level and gets the most out of players like I think what he's done at Sevilla is hugely impressive massively so um, and if you look at kind of some of the careers look at um, the guy that I always think about is um, Lucas Campos look at his career now like, this guy a couple of years ago was playing for Marseille and you know not being an outstanding player at Marseille now looks like a very very fine player uh, and Naziri as well as you know his career has really come on like Rakitic has had a little bit of a not rebirth because he was still playing at high level when he left Barcelona but it's very impressive as a body of work. You'll never, it will never be sort of, um, it'll never compete for prominence with what, whatever's happening at Real Madrid, Barcelona, even Atletico Madrid. But that's a very fine manager. A couple of years' time, maybe he's someone that you're more convinced about. Like it's, um, there's always somebody. I mean, just because um, Guardiola is not available, Klopp's not available, there's always somebody because it always has to be well, a next generation. Is apparently top of the odds. <laughs> It's just anyway, the same we'll, mistake again, yeah, isn't it? it? We'll, like, we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that in our Thursday video. When you talked about that video earlier, you and JJ said that I was going to be in the video and then you huddled in the corner together and laughed. So I'm not quite sure of my role in this yet, but I'm going to feature in some kind of hilarious... They're just going to throw things way. at you. That's okay. That's that's fine. We, we were joking. I think it could be quite fun. We were joking of ripping off the whose line is it anyway technique where we put you in front of the green screen and we put a picture of a manager behind you and you've got to guess who it is and that'd be us, quite funny tell us why they'd be good yeah I'd do that yeah, yeah, yeah. well you know we'll see we'll see we'll see how you go today um, let's take another quick break and then when we come back we'll talk about things that aren't similar to the things that we've just been talking about they kind of are similar actually Barcelona <laughs> new financing now Seb tell us all about this it sounds boring and it is yeah, it's quite boring, but mm. it's interesting and important at the same time because it's actually um, extraordinary. Isn't since it? 2014, Barcelona had um, approval for their Espe Barça project, which is a um, obviously a um, remodeling of Camp Nou as well as a um, a bushel of other developments in the community. A bushel? I thought I'd try that out. What does that mean? A bushel? It's like a collection, like a. I've never heard that word before. I also just not the microphone, and you're yeah. glaring. Yes, it. it's it's a it's an old fashioned kind of. Contemporary. Term we don't use old fashioned. We don't like use nasty words like that. Old fashioned. Gathering old. of things, isn't a it? Bushel. Dated. Yeah, a bushel of wheat. So. Uh, a bushel of tactics nerds. A bushel of infrastructure. Um, huh. So, Camp Nou is going to be uh, renovated. Um, the uh, multi sports arena is going to be rebuilt uh, with a bigger capacity and with greater executive um, opportunities, which can be used for obviously the sports, but also concerts and entertainment, that kind of stuff. They can rebuild the mini stadium, the Johan Cruyff Stadium, and they're going to kind of create a sort of a, a surrounding architecture around all this stuff, which allows um, a Barcelona complex um, to kind of be, to become part of the city. Still not quite sure how that works, mm. but importantly, over the weekend, um, Barcelona's board had a big old meeting. A bushel. 
a bushel of a bushel of votes. Yes. And uh, it's the financing, which this is the interesting bit. So this is going to cost 1.5 billion euros, which for anyone with knowledge of, of Barcelona's current financial situation, it's a lot of money. Um, but it's been approved and they're going to do it. And this takes their total debt to 2.8 billion bushel. Yeah, so this 1.5 slightly different type of debt because they're going to, um, I think there's going to be a little bit of investment from, I think some of the socios, but also they're going to go to a proper football financing company. Probably one of those, right. one of, you know those those companies that you come across who help finance transfer deals and stuff like that. So it's oh, going to be I a slightly different them. sort of situation, but a lot of money either way. Hopefully, um, it will be completed by 2025. So, in the seven years since this was originally improve, uh, approved, obviously, the technology proposed has been outdated. Uh, a lot of the clubs have built stadiums and built sort of complexes. Um, and Barcelona only completed 5% of the project anyway and only spent like 100 million euros. So, it had to be rebudgeted, redesigned, and they've pressed go for a second time. And the important bit, I suppose, is that it's estimated that the improvements will add 200 million euros a year to Barcelona's revenue. Um, How? Through the kind of the facilities. If you think about what Camp Nou is at the moment, um, no roof, uh, a little bit antiquated. Um, uh, yeah, but they can't fill the facilities. stadium at the moment, can they? No, but if you... So we're not talking about just ticket prices. We're not just talking about ticket prices. We're talking about um, having the facilities. This is the thing in football. You get um, executives talking about making money out of fans seven days a week. Yeah. Um, and not just sort of making money by selling tickets once every other every every two weeks. Sure. So you have the capacity <laughs> to host lots of things in it. Um, it's a lovely business. <laughs> it's yeah, um, and you have the ability to make money out of more than just football. So Camp Nou is a destination for more than just Barcelona home games. That's the important thing. So concerts and entertainment, other sports, and right. obviously when you talk about Barcelona, I know that the football club dominates it, but it's a multi-sports club in the kind of the traditional European model. Sure. Um, and so these are all sort of parts of the equation so oh. uh, we will see but um, it's kind of um, I suppose it will be if successful it's kind of Laporta's legacy or he hopes it will be yeah. because this is sort of he described it um, and this was translated from Spanish so it might have lost something but he describes it as a kind of the gift to our future generations which is kind of Laporta hyperbole yes but you can see where he's coming from um, and this has to be done this is overdue I mean Real Madrid have just completed or are just completing their own remodeling of the Bernabeu and that's got Tractable roof, which I, I think I read it weighs as much as twenty jumbo jets. It's got like a five-story car park underneath. I like it's got it a shopping when center. Say things like that because yeah. it, it, it seems that I know as... how much a jumbo jet weighs. Yeah, or, yeah. but it's it's not the point. You, it would it's be more if that they could think... tell it how many versions of me that would be. No, but nineteen. It, it's not as impressive. It's like it's it's a a jumbo jet that seems heavy. Twenty of that that seems very heavy. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. So. Anyway. So it's it's interesting. More to come. One hundred and eighty-seven thousand kilos. Well, that's yes, yeah, about three quarters of. He probably my subscribes weight. to some kind of aviation industry trade magazine. Sure. Study no, I'm not into that stuff, but I am. I've gone down a proper rabbit hole with former imperial measurements and so on off the bushel thing. Well, because they have announced they're coming back. Thirty-six point four liters. Wasn't that thing I dreamed though? Did I? I don't the Tories announced that they're bringing... I don't live in this country anymore. No, no, they did. I'm pretty I, sure I, they I, did. I believe you. I just... We'll look this up later, but you I You want think... to get into British Apothecary's volume measures, including the minim and the fluid scruple. Ah. Speaking of apothecaries... Oh, yeah. Let's discuss a man who makes some of the finest football potions. It's Claudio Ranieri. Um, Alex, what a bizarre game. Uh, yeah. Everton 2, 5 Watford... And of course, Watford were two one down at some point in this game. And the the the, the last goals there, um, it went from two one to two five in twelve minutes. Michael Cox called this possibly the most spectacular collapse I've seen on a football pitch. Mm. Um, it was a strange game. Yeah, it was. It was a strange game. Um, so they, I mean, I suppose the the thing with the Watford goals is really, really bad. Everton defending off two set pieces. Um, in the first instance, King was just able to basically ghost past, I think it was Davis that Tom was Davis, marking him. Post. Yeah. Um, so that he's he was initially being marked, but then once the first header had been won, King was able to get onto the flick on. The second one, whoever makes that run from the top of the box is just not picked up at all by anybody. And it's not like it was a massively intelligent disguised run coming from one of those stack things. Uh, and then Everton seemed to just give up defending. 
Um, and King was able to find so much space in the box. And the, these little lateral movements where you draw the, you know, the remaining centre back forwards and then square the ball a short distance across to a player who has become free because of that movement. If your defence is repeatedly making that same mistake, exposing that centre back time and time again, then you've got a massive systemic issue. And yeah. it's weird because Everton have actually been pretty decent up to that point. Well, can, so, I, can I take uh, you to Watford, Seb, and uh, say, you know, Uncle Damien and I have been uh, chatting recently, looking around the league there and wondering who will the three teams worse than Norwich be this year if there's any hope of Norwich staying up. Now, Newcastle have been bought by uh, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Uh, Watford have now, of course, been uh, taken over by Claudio Ranieri and are beating Everton 5-2. Even Leeds drew at the weekend. Um, in Watford's case, though, do you think this could be a trend? Not of five-goal victories, but, um, you know, a little... Uh, everyone loves Ranieri, right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm too early to say because the thing about this was that... Um, I'm not sure I, I quite agree about the spectacular collapse. It was, from a scoreline perspective, a spectacular collapse, but Watford took advantage of something that was there in the atmosphere Everton um, this was coming like uh, Josh King had a really good chance which Jordan Pickford saved before he um, before he uh, he uh, before they equalised and he added a third um, and it was a very interesting moment when um, Rafa Benitez withdrew Anthony Gordon and sent on Richarlison yeah. and it was there was howls of protest. Gordon played quite well. He, he had a good game. We should we should clarify that, that that when Richarlison started to come onto the pitch, the fans clapped. It was more just. Oh, that it they wasn't didn't about Richarlison. To come off. They, yeah. It was local player. Um, he played quite well. He was. Um, there's a lot of uh, animosity to towards uh, Tifo favourite son Salomon Rondon, which we can't stand for, of course. Um, Richarlison comes on, immediately scores, and it felt as if after that set piece that Alex referred to, when it was just. It's just a run in the centre of the six-yard box. Very strange. From yeah. the penalty spot. It felt as if um, Everton's legs kind of buckled. Um, and it was a response to the way the crowd are responding to them. Uh, which is very, very strange. Because some of the defending... Like, it doesn't... It didn't really fit the model of, of Rafa Benitez coaching. I didn't recognise that from anywhere else he's been. Um, I'm more of his flaws. I'm not someone who thinks he's, he walks in water. It's just that um, it was basic stuff. Like, getting hopelessly caught in transition. Um and I don't know, it just got very hostile. So I was following some of the um, athletic uh, Everton writers on Twitter and they, they reported some um, some pretty nasty exchanges between fans and executives so far, Mashiri, Marcel Brands and um, Denise Barabaxendale, the CEO. Uh, apparently a couple of fans close to the director's box were having a little bit of a pop at the ownership. And, um, hey, they crowded Kuhlman's car as well the weekend, didn't they? Yeah. Not sorry. Everton fans. I will get around to asking, answering your question in that I think Watford took advantage of a lot of things really well. And listen, 10 goal swing in the space of a week. That's pretty impressive. And Ranieri deserves a lot of credit for scraping the ego of his players off the floor. Mm. And um, they played very well. Josh King played very well, yes. But uh, Moussa Soko was pretty good. I thought Kucha yeah. Hernandez was very, very good. Moussa Soko was really good. Yeah, he played very, very well. Yeah. Um, I thought the defence was pretty good. Um, and and also, let, let's, let's be fair, if you... If you <laughs> being battered 5-0 on your own pitch and then you concede once away from home um, and then you equalise and you go behind away from home and other than the first 20 minutes Watford were the better team um, so it was kind of adversity and oh here we go again and you still respond like that that's hugely impressive for everyone involved like all the players coaching staff well done but this was about Everton and it's kind of worrying because it's kind of come from nowhere in the sense that we Everton have been okay they're not hugely impressive and they're not that they haven't been wonderful to watch this season, but you think, okay, with what they had to spend and their recruitment was quite good. And I've like Townsend, Damari Gray. Yeah, it's, it's been okay. It's been okay. This was just a floor falling out moment. You'd, you'd um, worry a bit about Gray because, so obviously Decore was injured and Mina yeah. were injured and they'd, they'd been fantastic, but there was a good article. I can't remember from when, fairly recently, that, that Rafa Honigstein and Mark Kerry did um, about why Damari Gray didn't work out at Leverkusen. Mm -hmm. And part of the issue was that having moved there, not really speaking the language, he was at the, they describe it as the beginning of the end of the Bosch era. Mm -hmm. And that as the team's form fell away, so did his. I think and he you, arrived when the team wasn't playing that well too. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean he started brightly, but then his stuff went off a cliff. And I, I would just worry, Gray's been Everton's outstanding player so far this season, I would argue. If 
they if the wheels do come off for them, I would worry whether he's going to be able to sustain that, which might be a real shame well, if he can't. He's not the kind of player that you charge with being responsible for that. Uh, Demario Gray is a, is a he's a decoration, isn't yeah. he? Like he's a he's a, a difference maker. He's someone who want you want to take risks with the ball. If the team isn't functioning properly, it's not because Demario Gray is not doing something right, um, and so that's a kind of the responsibility of uh you know the curé and that's a problem or yeah. tom davis now if he's going to come into the team full time i don't know it's uh, I, I don't know what everton are i feel like watford um i think we said this a couple of weeks ago watford were too talented to be doing what they were doing in the premier league prior to Ranieri arriving because if you look at if you do a kind of basic accountancy of that squad and you look at some of like the attacking talent like dennis is and uh, josh king hernandez probably a bit to learn in the Premier League but good player being thought of very very highly I mean for a while people thought he was going to be a new Sergio Aguero probably not but good player um, you've got so, Sissoko in there yeah absolutely and so really good. it's a it's a very um, potentially a very capable team somewhere a team that should be finishing maybe 12th or 13th on talent yeah. um, so I don't know I don't know let's give it a few weeks uh, but Everton yeah not a happy place after that and you feel like since Benitez is appointment you you've always feared if this kind of thing happened then that's the kind of thing that can disrupt a an uneasy alliance like this mm. um so we shall see your board of this that's your board voice no no I'm, that was mm. my no no i was making a noise because alex did a squeak just squeaking over a there squeak. yeah sorry sure i was just looking up something but we've been talking for some time my voice is going a little bit We've yeah been for so long well you know norwich is are still bad we'll talk about them i'm sure in the future um, yeah, Seb, you, you've written down here that Bologna 2 for AC Milan was an amazing game. Fun, fun. Yeah, uh, Bologna went down to nine men. Rightly, two, you know, um, very fair red cards, but just great game of football. And they held out, um, they fought their way back to 2-0, from 2-0 to 2-2. Uh, they had 10 men at that point, then lost another. And then they held out until I think probably the um, 83rd minute when uh, Benesser scored a really fabulous volley. And then Abramovich... Abramovich, Abramovich, mm, that would Zlatan be term, Abramovich, yeah. Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, made the game safe. But um, full of respect and admiration for um, their effort with nine men. I thought we'd have more time when they put this on the on the plan because it was going to be a discussion about how you attack a <laughs> team which only has nine men. Because yeah. how do you prepare for that? Do you ever prepare for that in training? Sure. Okay, you do do eleven against ten, sure, and you practice defending with ten against eleven. But do you do nine? Because it's so rare mm. that. What would be the point? Probably not. So it was interesting to, to watch Milan struggle with it, to be yeah. honest. But you put that on the plan before United lost five. Yeah, it feels like the, the the thunder was stolen a little bit before Zlatan Abramovic. Yeah, yeah. Also, Tommy Glad Doyle here. Yeah, Tommy Doyle is a Manchester City midfielder on loan in Hamburg, and they are. How do you say that name? Hasval. Hasval. H S V. So that's um, Hamburg Sports Club. Right. Um, uh, but the Germans say Hartsfell, and I got corrected on this by my brother-in-law. He's right. a, a big Hartsfell fan. Yeah. Um, but he scored a 94th minute winner against Paderborn at the weekend. And he hasn't really played very much. He's had sort of a few minutes here and there. But he had a yeah. really, really good moment. And um, Hartsfell is starting to... Can I can I say, yeah. whenever someone says Paderborn, yeah. I think of Padwan. <laughs> and then I think of when Anakin <laughs> slays all the children. That's where your mind went while I was talking. So you heard nothing about Tommy Doyle, the last minute winner. <laughs> no, so. I just think about that weird scene in Attack of the Clones. You know, you remember this, Alex? Yeah. In Attack of the Clones, when he, go, he goes and kills all the Jedi kids. It's a bit harsh. Yeah. Paderborn. Um, <laughs> Faraday Aladu. Played very well. He's, uh, he's come up from um, Hamburg's second team, and he made Ooh. his first start in um, the Zweitabendliga. <laughs> Played very very well. He's um, <laughs> but he's he has potential. <laughs> know the name Faraday Aladu. I'm, I'm probably saying it might, it might be Farida. He's uh, Faraday Aladu. I know Aladu is right, but um, I haven't heard someone pronounce his first name. But he um, played very watch. very well. It's a winger, attacking player. Uh, watch. Have you started? Have you played the new Football Manager game yet? No, no. But I have had a conversation you? with JJ yeah. about it. Have you? What, what? Give me one player to buy for the listeners. Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm playing as Ajax in a sort of. I know you've bought players Van because you keeps texting JJ about who you've bought, and then he tells me, and I think, oh, the Tifa people might care about that. So don't uh, tell me. Give me a name. Come on, give me one name. Well, I I bought Ka what? Okay, for the Newcastle Kaka. thing, I bought Kakare. 
Kakare. from Lyon, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pressing hero. I yeah. bought Tyler Adams from uh-huh. Leipzig. Yeah. Um, Sula from Bayern. Nicolas Sula. Who's like weirdly available on this game. I don't mm. know. I bought him for Ajax. Oh, He's now my feel like he would want that in his career at this point. But. No, but I, I'm I'm playing them as like a Van Hal style, like three one two one with then three but wide midfielders. Okay. It's like it's it's a bit mad. We haven't lost yet, and he's my outside right centre back. Okay, and he okay. basically kind of plays as a wing back. It's it's cool. He's like the um, the big rock in Indiana Jones. He's fast. He man. just rolls down, yeah, yeah, crushes yeah. players when he carries the ball. I, I, I don't know about any of the Wonder Kids or any of that stuff yet. No, fine. Well, we'll find out. I'm sure. Hey, you know, if you want to see something really creepy, you should check out uh, uh, producer Dunn's Twitter feed where he's got a picture of his manager, uh, Chi Ken, who has a very large nose. Don. Don says yes. <laughs> There we go. Right, that's the end of today's podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening. Thanks to all for gathering here and joining us on this uh, this Monday, Tuesday, whenever it is you're listening to it. Check out the merch. TIFO merch shop. That's shop.tifofootball.com where you can buy a t-shirt that will make the sex of your attraction attracted to you. Yeah, that works. Yeah? Okay. yeah. A t-shirt that will make your mother's proud of you or... It'll make your family go, oh, he's that, they, oh, she, oh, they're doing well. And if you also get the mug, if you get the mug, you'll be the prime minister for free. That's how that works in England now. Shop.tifofootball.com. Thank you, uh, Seb Stafford Bloor. Thank you, Joe Devine. And uh, thank you, of course, to Alex Stewart. Thanks. Thanks to producer Don and to uh, producer Adonis. And uh, we'll be back next week with something else. Probably, uh, you know, less than this one. Less Man United-y. Yeah, hope so. Bye! Athletic.